Money FM 89.3, best of the breakfast huddle. Mind your business with the breakfast huddle only on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3. Good morning. It's The Breakfast Huddle. Elliot Danka, Bharti Jagdish and Ryan Huang with you. What does it take to make you feel like you're queen of the world? Mm, lots and lots of money and hopefully <laughs> very expensive real estate in the metaverse in 10 years from now. Or Cause, less. Cause six years, maybe. You're anticipating that's going to be worth more than real life, right? <laughs> that's Gosh. what we think. But often we're wrong, right? Yeah, about about yeah, yeah. our plans, our dreams. You know, we think, yeah. okay, this is the goal and then you may not achieve that goal. But you end up finding something else. And then you might actually be closer to becoming king of the world in the case of our next guest anyway. Interesting, right? So let's try and put ourselves in his shoes, right? So this is about the early 1990s. Our next guest just graduated from Columbia University. You mm. know, you're fresh-faced, you're hungry. You're, you're going to dive into entrepreneurship. Mm. And you're going to become a millionaire. Mm. Uh, so he returned home to India after that, really excited to start this new journey, eager to accomplish everything that he could dream for himself. But boy was he wrong. Armed with those big dreams and an in Inflated ego to boot, he leapt into creating a multimedia database for the first time. And guess what? No surprises. It failed to take off. Nothing really happened with that project. So what he did next was to resell electronic software from American companies in India, then an image processing solution called Image Workbench. But this series of ideas for the next three years turned out to be a succession of failures for this serial... Well, I hate to say the serial failure at the moment. Mm, that sounds really, really disheartening. Yeah? Uh, but well, he did not let or any of this get to him. Instead, he poured his soul into creating India World Communications, India's first internet portal that connected Indians around the world to their home country. So that was one of the things he did. Then he moved into what he's calling now Netcore Cloud, which is a very successful marketing technology software as a service company. To tell us more about his entrepreneurial journey, Rajesh Jain joins us. He is founder of Netcore Cloud. I know it can get quite confusing because we've talked about so many of his ventures. Good morning, Rajesh. Good morning, Bharti, and good morning, Elliot. Glad to have you on with us. Uh, Tell us more about this great journey that uh, Elliot and I have been waxing lyrical about. It is quite a journey. What exactly got you into wanting to be a tech entrepreneur in the late 90s, which would have meant you were one of the pioneers? Yes. So, in fact, my father was an entrepreneur. He, I'd seen him at close range as I was growing up. And that desire was always there when I left for the U.S. for my studies at Columbia. He said, finish your master's in nine months, work for two years and come back. That's what he had done in the 60s. So my decision was made. And once I came back, I started on my entrepreneurial journey. But little did I realize that, uh, as you explained, uh, there'll be a string of early failures. Fantastic learnings from those. And uh, eventually, I think in life, uh, even if you fail many times, uh, but you got those two or three big successes, I think that's what matters. And when I look back the years as an entrepreneur, there's probably been 30 or more failures. That's one a year. But there have been two very big successes, as you explained, India World and Netcore Cloud. Mm, mm. Your perseverance is quite the inspiration, Rajesh. Uh, I want to take you back to those early failures. Each time they happen, what pushed you forward? What, what made you get up again to keep going? I think what, what pushed me was the fact that I think that realization that the problem was the idea and it was not me as the problem. Ah. Mm. So 
there's always this now of course now we know it as product market fit that time these this uh, these words were not really there in the, in the early 90s mm-hmm. but what i realized is that you've got to be persistent i think accepting failure is is very very hard but it's only when you close one door can you then open new doors so every time i failed i've always realized that you know i probably took too long to accept that my idea had, had failed the moment i did it i think it opens up new opportunities new horizons as an entrepreneur you basically get back it's a journey mm. that really matters more than just uh, thinking of a specific destination in terms of this much money i'm going to make or uh, this is uh, the fame that i want i think for me it's really the the, the joy of coming up with new ideas and building things with the possibility that many of these ideas maybe are sometimes too early and they'll fail. Mm. What do you think was the key to your finally getting out of failure mode and into success mode? Aside from the fact that, you know, you looked into things like the product and market fit and things like that. What were the keys to this transition? So I'll give you two answers for that. One is the fact that I think I, I picked on the right idea early on, which was the internet and the potential. I recognized the potential of the internet. Uh, and also then I linked it with my own experiences living in the U.S., mm. the inability of people outside of India to get information and content uh, on India. And that's really what helped us. So I think we got that part right. And uh, because we were very early, I started India World just around the time that sort of Yahoo and eBay launched. So it was very early on. And I persevered. Even India World journey was not easy. We had a lot of ups and downs. I bootstrapped it. I did not have external capital as I built it out. But I think it was the perseverance uh, and the fact that we are in the right area and we need to just keep, keep at it. Don't give up. I think it was very important. And second, of course, I can say it now, I think uh, my wife was my lucky charm. I think my fortunes changed after I got married to her. You're a very smart man there. That, that's <laughs> the most crucial point, Rajesh. Well done. And she, uh, was, she, was, she worked with me. I mean, we worked together now for almost all of the three years. Uh, so India World Netco, we've been together. Oh, so you, guys, you guys are working together? Yes, yes, always. What's the uh, dynamic uh, like? Yeah, so I think as long as, because we are very different people, she came from a finance background and I've come from a tech background, but she never did much of the finance. She drove content in India World and Netcode. She now drives uh, HR part. She loves people. I'm very difficult. uh, I mean, I I don't like interacting that much with people. Mm. (laughs) The opposite. And that helps a lot because, uh, you know, we've got our own domain and uh, it's great because, you know, you have a sounding board. She, She doesn't mince words when I make mistakes and tells me like it is. So it's like, uh, you know, a co-founder and uh, you have a great partner, I think, uh, who knows me better than probably I know myself. Wow. That sounds good. I think it's very lucky also. Not everyone manages yeah. to find a yeah. partner like that. So you're a very lucky man. Rajesh, let's talk about Netcore Cloud, which is what you're running right now, a marketing tech software as a service company. What made you want to do this at this point? So Netcore has gone through many pivots in its 25 years of uh, journey. But in the last uh, five, six, seven years, basically what we've done is we first had built the foundation in messaging. So email and SMS, so communications for B2C brands as they want to uh, interact with their customers. And then I think around 2015, 16, we realized that we'll have to move up the stack. And that's basically in engagement and customer experience. Mm. So not only do brands want to send messages, but they also want to engage with their customers. So they want to automate the interactions and they want to do personalization. So a lot of these, they want to collect as much data as possible to drive this omni-channel personalization. 
And that's what really started the journey of the recent car of, uh, of Netcore. And uh, I think the way I see it is that this is uh, quite a fascinating space now because I see a big shift coming from just the companies acquiring customers. So that is the world of ad tech. So you do the ads on Facebook and Google and uh, everywhere else and you acquire customers. But what's increasingly important now as cost of acquisition increases is that brands will want to do uh, what we call MarTech, basically mm. retention of customers, growth, cross-sell, maximizing their lifetime value. Mm -hmm. And that I think is going to become uh, what I call it's the coming of the marketing that the next five, 10 years are going to be driven by this. And we are right in the, uh, in the middle of that space. I'm curious about your presence in Southeast Asia and Singapore. And if you could expand a little bit, which countries in this region do you think present gaps which you potentially could, you know, jump in and, and, and fill? Yes. So essentially uh, for us, because we are B2C, we need countries uh, where there is a large population and because all our billings tend to be in uh, volumes in terms of number of SMSs sent or emails sent. We don't do SMS outside of India, but emails and the interactions, which are essentially on how many active users are there every month. Okay. So in that sense, for us in Southeast Asia, the countries which really are doing very well for us right now, are uh, Indonesia, Malaysia, Philippines, and Vietnam. Mm. We've had very good growth there. Uh, and uh, this is really, and because you can take a lot of the ideas from India, not just the products, but also the go-to-market ideas, the success stories that we have, the use cases, the moments when uh, brands need to interact with their customers. A lot of those success stories work very well in other emerging markets, uh, in, uh, especially in Southeast Asia, because in a way we are all very app-first markets, which are very different from, say, the U.S., which are more web-first. So this works very well in these markets. Mm. The thing about marketing tech and digital advertising, performance marketing, all of that stuff, is that it can get quite complicated for brands. And a lot of them tend to miss certain stages of the funnel or they forget that you also need to work on reacquisition, for instance, retention. Some people aren't sure about that stage. So yeah. tell us how a company like you can actually help them cut through all of this foliage, all of this noise. We are seeing seeing these complications arise in an era where ad costs are rising, customers are becoming less valuable. Also, don't forget the demise of third-party cookies. What are the solutions to navigate this? Yeah, great question, Bharti. And so what's really happening and what brands need to look for, uh, CMOs and more importantly, I think even CEOs, is that if they have to get on the path of what I call exponential forever profitable growth, they need to focus on their existing customers build deep relationships with them, maximize the lifetime value. So the three R's of MarTech, the way I see it, are retention. Then you look at reactivation, not reacquisition. So many customers, mm. basically sometimes the relationships go a little dormant. They are not responding to the push messages that one is sending. But there are ways by which you can reactivate that relationship. Because if you get into reacquisition, it's 100 times more expensive. And then... What is missed out, I think, by marketers a lot is referrals. Referrals is very critical because it helps you bring down the acquisition cost to literally zero. Get your best customers, get their friends and families, uh, have them get their friends and family members, and they'll do that today because if they love your brand, they will spread the word because we all have the ability to reach out to hundreds of people through our uh, social networks. So this combination of three R's, retention, reactivation, and referrals, I think is the key for succeeding in the MarTech age and building a profitable business which can also grow. So that's the foundation. How Netcore helps is 
Finally, in through a full stack solution. So what we realized is that in the past five, seven years, there have been a lot of point solutions. Now, point solutions have a problem. You can solve a specific problem, but finally you need to integrate all of them. The data gets siloed, so the machine learning algorithms don't work very well. This creates a big challenge for marketers. So the full stack solution, so we collect the data in a, in a customer data platform, in analytics, personalization, engagement, automation, all of these things are done in a full stack. So that's the first thing which Netcore has pioneered, I think, in the region. And the second is the hand-holding, because these are, this can get quite complex in terms of the internal talent that is required at the marketers and brands to do all of these things. So we have what we call a customer success team, and which we are upgrading now to what I call a progency, a product-led agency, which can help marketers essentially get on to take external help and achieve the performance and the KPIs, the key performance indicators that they want. And that's really what Netcore brings to the table, the combination of full stack and the hand-holding for success. Mm. Rajesh, uh, uh, pardon me, I, I just wanted to clarify something and, and I'm sincerely unsure about this. Does uh, yeah. Netcore have to deal with algorithms where social media is concerned, you know, in terms of marketing? Uh, not as much, uh, because okay. if you think about the social media, a lot of that is today being used for acquisition sure, sure. Uh, much more than direct engagement. So in a simple way, if I were to frame it, what brands typically have their own properties, the websites and their apps. Mm. And then what they need is, how do you get people back to your website and app, your own property? And therefore, what they need is push messages. So push messages can be sent out on email, SMS, push notifications, WhatsApp, etc. So these are these channels where you know the person, you have the, what we call PII, personally identified information, the email ID, the mobile number, or the device-related information. So what we help is in both of these areas. Once the, so there's some knowledge that brands have of customers, what they've purchased in the past, or sure. uh, an identity, and that's how the engagement journey starts. I mean, we can track all that people do on, their, on the apps uh, that the brands have on the websites. And that really helps in personalizing because that is what people want. So mm-hmm. social media is what customers can use to spread the word and brands can use for acquisition. So it's a little different, but a very important component of the overall marketing ecosystem. Okay. Yeah, we've been talking a lot about the metaverse recently, Rajesh. And I'm wondering where you stand on that. Where MarTech companies like yours stand on that? How are you preparing to leverage on something as large as that? It's a great question, Bharti, because I think uh, as, as the evolution happens and people spend more and more time in the virtual world, which is really the metaverse which is being talked about, I think uh, we, are, we are going to be driven very much by how customer behavior changes and how brands want to engage with customers. It's still very early days, I think, but we are going to see this big shift happen. It's already happening with, say, some of the games where people spend. Uh, brands are not really there today, uh, but I think over time, Brands will also need to start building their presence in the metaverse. And that's where we will, uh, MarTech companies like us will come in. Because what we are really doing is enabling relationships and connections between brands and customers. So I think it's still early days, but we will follow what customers do and what brands want. That's really uh, the key for us. Surely you're, you're anticipating some kind of annoyance because companies like Facebook, they tend to change their algorithms all the time. And that's got to be quite a learning journey once you really immerse yourself in this. Great point. Absolutely. And I think that's why we say, we tell all our, uh, all our customers that what you really need is a direct relationship mm. to your customers without intermediaries. Okay. And therefore, email ID, the mobile number, your own properties are very, very important 
without a third party basically determining how you can engage with your customers so over time i think brands are now starting to realize this as you said earlier the ad costs are rising and so on mm. you need to build deep relationships get your customers to be able to tell you what their preferences are along with by using uh, along of course with using algorithms and that's the foundation for the best relationship that you can have because then you get a very good idea of what your customers want what their intent is without relying on other other entities in between so the direct relationship i think is the key to building this exponential profitable future that i spoke about earlier irajesh we talked about your entrepreneurial journey earlier and uh, it looks like netcore is one of the major successes for sure you plan to have it be india's first SaaS IPO by next year. Tell us more about those plans. Why this is so important to you, and how are you planning to make it happen? Yep. So there will probably be one or two other SaaS IPOs, but we'll probably definitely be the first B two C Martech SaaS in the Martech space. Will definitely be one of the first in the space. So Netcore has had a long journey. Uh, we've been a bootstrapped company, like India World. We are what I call a proficon, unlike unicorns, which end up raising a lot of money. Mm. We have been profitable, private, sort of bootstrapped, and of course highly valuable. Uh, we are 25% owned by uh, employees. We are now so we are one of the largest uh, companies in emerging markets. And what we wanted to think do was that as we prepare for the next sort of 10 years, you know, in the words of Jim Collins, build a enduring great company, build a built-to-last company. we said being a public a company i think will be very important for two reasons number one is that it gives liquidity to the equity held by uh, employees that's 25% of our company which is i think very large we've really ensured that there's significant employee ownership in netcore and second is that i see a lot of consolidation happening in this space so we want to become an acquiring company we want to acquire uh, we can't build everything ourselves so we've already done a couple of acquisitions in the last two years on the tech side Uh, for if you listed then it gives us an ability to use stock as a currency rather than just cash uh, to acquire uh, companies and expand our footprint globally we are now also working to expand aggressively in us and europe because i think that's a great opportunity for emerging market companies that basically you can even sell in these markets just with your home base in in india or any of the other emerging markets So that's the IPO journey and we're hoping to IPO in the next 12 to 12 months or so. Oh, we certainly wish you the best of luck Rajesh Jain who is founder of Netcore Cloud. Rajesh, thanks for your time. Take care and stay safe. Thank you Elliot and thank you very much Parthi. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.